This is an audio version of The Social Recession by The Numbers by Autonomon, published on the 30th of October 2022. This is a link post for a post on novum.substack.com. Subtitle Fewer Friends, Relationships on the Decline, Delayed Adulthood, Trusted an All Time Low, and Many Diseases of Despair. The prognosis is not great. Piece opens with an image of a painting. The caption reads, Intermission, also known as Intermedio, by Edward Hopper, 1963. And the painting shows a lady in a black dress with high heels on, sitting in a chair at perhaps a cinema or a theatre. She's in the front row, but she's by herself. There's no one else pictured there. Here's the main text. One of the most discussed topics online recently has been friendships and loneliness. Ever since the infamous chart showing more people are not having sex than ever before first made the rounds, There's been increased interest in the social state of things. Polling has demonstrated a marked decline in all spheres of social life, including close friends, intimate relationships, trust, labour participation and community involvement. The trend looks to have worsened since the pandemic, although it will take some years before this is clearly established. The decline comes alongside a documented rise in mental illness, diseases of despair and poor health more generally. In August 2022, the CDC announced that US life expectancy has fallen further and is now where it was in 1996. Contrast this to Western Europe, where it has largely rebounded to pre-pandemic numbers. Still, even before the pandemic, the years 2015 to 2017 saw the longest sustained decline in US life expectancy since 1915 to 1918. While my intended angle here is not health-related, general sociability is closely linked to health. The ongoing shift has been called the friendship recession, in quotes, or the social recession, in quotes. My intention here is not to present a list of miserable points, but to group them together in a meaningful context whose consequences are far-reaching. While most of what I will outline here focuses on the United States, many of these same trends are present elsewhere, because its catalyst is primarily the internet itself. With no signs of abating, a new kind of sociability has only started to affect what people ask of the world through the prism of themselves. The topic has directly or indirectly produced a whole genre of commentary from many different perspectives. Many of them touch on the fact that the internet is not being built with pro-social ends in mind. Increasingly monopolised across a few key entities, online life and its data have become the most sought-after commodity. The everyday person's attention has thus become the scarcest resource to be extracted, Other perspectives, often on the left, also stress economic precarity and the decline of public spaces as causes. Some of these same criticisms have been adopted by the new right, who also indict the culture at large for undermining traditions of sociality, be it gender norms or the family. Believing it disproportionately affects men, this position has produced many lifestyle spin-offs, Men Going Their Own Way, or MGTOW, Trad Life Nostalgia, Inceldom, masculinist groups, and hustle culture with a focus on beating the rat race, in quotes. All of these subcultures are symptoms of the social recession in some way, for better or for worse. Often standing outside this conversation altogether are the self-described adults in the room, professional media pundits, politicians, bureaucrats and the like, disconnected from the problem themselves, but fixated on its potential to incubate political extremism. Entire institutes have been set up to study, monitor, and surveil the internet's radicalising tendencies, buoyed by antisocial loneliness. 
The new buzzword often used in this sphere is stochastic terrorism, in quotes, and the need to contain some unknown, dangerous online element taking hold of the dispirited. The goal here is not to solve a pernicious problem, but instead to pacify its most flagrant outbursts. We have no clear comparative basis on which to judge what will emerge from the growing number of people who feel lost, lonely, or invisible. The closest comparison comes from the early 20th century, when, for the first time, millions of provincial people moved to major cities to pursue their dreams. Many uprooted themselves, then only to be poor and unfulfilled, who were later easily excited into a mania over mass politics and culture. That's why German novelist Hermann Brock, in his story The Sleepwalkers, 1930, writes his panorama of World War I as rooted in, quote, the loneliness of I, among three of his characters. Likewise, no one cares for Gregor Samsa in Franz Kafka's The Metamorphosis, 1915, who is compelled to go to work despite not even recognising himself any longer. The alienated product of mass industrial society is familiarly described in W.H. Alden's poem The Age of Anxiety, 1948. Quote, Miserable wicked me, how interesting I am. End quote. While data and polling have their limits, they are a useful starting point for concretely discussing the social recession and whether it's here to stay. I've collected some numbers on the shift happening across a few key areas community, friendship, life milestones, relationships, and trust. Heading By the Numbers Community and Social Activities. In 2000, Bowling Alone by political scientist Robert D. Putnam was published to much praise for its breadth of research. The book documents the decline of sociability in the United States since the 1950s. It mainly traces the dwindling number of Americans frequenting civic organisations such as religious services, volunteer work, sports clubs, hobbyist groups, and so on. The book was one of the first to quantitatively determine that, yes, the traditional American community was on the decline. It remains a staple within political science courses today. Yet, many of the metrics used in the study are today a bit dated. Even the title does not evoke the relevance it once did. Not even bowling has been spared the decline of social activities. Moreover, in the year 2000, it was far easier to see the trend as fixable because it was not overwhelmingly determined by any one factor. Putnam's work is an assessment of social life of a different kind, before the internet's mass adoption. That world is clearly never coming back. If we take one metric commonly cited in the book, church membership, the decline Putnam describes is exceptionally mild compared to what came after. Here's a chart. It shows the results of Gallup polls. Church membership among US adults now below 50%. The question is, do you happen to be a member of a church, synagogue, or mosque? And the line shows the percentage saying, yes, they're a member. In 1940, it was at 73 76 at around 1945. When Bowling Alone was published just after the year 2000, it was still at around 70% or just below. And then pretty much from that point, there's a rapid decline. It's now at 47%. And this downward trend seems to be accelerating. This image is captioned, US church membership falls below majority for first time. Gallup 2021. And there's a link to that poll here. Rather than go through them one by one, Putnam's trends can be assessed more contemporaneously through a simple metric, screen time, a proxy for time spent not doing community activities in person. 
Rather than bowling alone, Americans are instead browsing alone over seven hours daily on average, and increasing every year. As of 2021, some 31% of Americans claim to be online almost constantly, in quotes. The world Putnam is describing arguably does not register with the same relevancy it once had. Heading, friendships. If we are browsing alone rather than bowling alone, the real metric to look at is friendships themselves. The past few decades have recorded a steep decline in people's circle of friends and a growing number of people who don't have any friends whatsoever. The number of Americans who claim to have no close friends at all, in quotes, across all age groups, now stands at around 12%, as per the Survey Center on American Life. Quote, The percentage of people who say they don't have a single close friend has quadrupled in the past 30 years, according to the Survey Center on American Life. End quote. It's been known that friendlessness is more common for men, but it is nonetheless affecting everyone. The general change since 1990 is illustrated below. And here's a chart from the American Perspective Survey, May 2021, and Gallup 1990. It's titled Decline in Friendship, Percentage Who Report Having the Following Number of Close Friends, Not Counting Their Relatives. Audio note, this data is quite granular, but I'll give some highlights. In 1990, 40% of men said they had 10 or more friends, and 28% of women. In 2021, that was 15% for men and 11% for women. People saying they have no close friends. The bar isn't even visible in 1990 for men or women. In 2021, it's 15% for men and 10% for women. The caption reads, Adrift, America in 100 Charts, 2022. As a detail, note the drastic drop of people with 10 or more friends, now a small minority. Here's another chart from the Survey Center on American Life, from the State of American Friendship, Change, Challenges and Loss, 2021. Titled, Fewer Americans Today Have a Best Friend, in quotes. Percentage who have one person they consider to be their best friend? In 1990 it was 75%, 2021 it's 59%. Although these studies are more general estimates of the entire population, it looks worse when we focus exclusively on generations that are more digitally native, when polling exclusively American millennials, a pre-pandemic 2019 YouGov poll found 22% have, quote, zero friends, and 30% had, quote, no best friends. For those born between 1997 to 2012, Generation Z, there has been no widespread credible study done yet on this question. But if you're adjacent to internet spaces, you already intuitively grasp that these same online catalysts are deepening for the next generation. Heading, Life Milestones and Relationships. There have been many psychological profiles of late adulthood, in quotes, common among those born from the 1990s onward. Many of the milestones, getting a driver's license, moving out, dating, starting work, and so on, have been delayed for many young adults. The trend became obvious starting in the 2010s. In 2019, it was compiled into a comprehensive study titled The Decline in Adult Activities Among U.S. Adolescents, 1976 to 2016. And here's a chart from that study. Percent of 12th graders who have gotten a driver's license, tried alcohol, gone on dates, and worked for pay. And we notice that in all of these cases, they're constantly declining the entire time. Worked for pay in particular has suddenly sharply dropped off. The biggest declines have been in gone on dates and worked for pay. 
Between 94 and 2014, got in a driver's license went down from 84.7% to 72.7%. Tried alcohol from 81 to 66.1. Gone on dates from 83 to 58.3. And worked for pay from 71.7 to 55.6. And those illustrations are from Axios 2017. The same paper looked at how often high schoolers went out without their parents, showing a similar decline. So here's another chart. The x-axis here runs from 1976 to 2014, and we see lines for 12th, 10th and 8th graders, showing how many times per week they go out. And we see that for 12th graders, this was highest in the 70s at around 3 times per week, then dropped off and stayed steady throughout the 80s, increasing a little bit throughout the 90s, and then sharply, steadily dropping off from the early 2000s onwards, and the rate of drop-off seems to be increasing. And the line for 10th and 8th graders mirrors that. Much of this is not necessarily bad, in quotes, and it's more symptomatic than anything else. It's something of a mixed bag. For example, delayed adulthood is linked to less of a desire to engage in risky behaviour, like delinquency or excess drinking. While risk avoidance may be preferable, it also tracks along a decline in sociability. It is therefore bundled with other personal costs. Mental health among people native to the internet continues to worsen amid an increase in so-called diseases of despair in the United States more generally. These were the leading causes of the drop in life expectancy before the pandemic. Here's a chart sourced from the Journal of Abnormal Psychology. Depression rates by age, 2009 to 2017. Percent of population in each age group that has reported a major depressive episode. So we have lines here for 50 plus, 30 to 49, 26 to 29, 12 to 15, 22 to 25, 20 to 21, and 16 to 19. The y-axis is measuring years from 2009 to 2017, and the x-axis is measuring the percentage. We notice that the worst affected are 22 to 25, 20 to 21, and 16 to 19, and all of those have increased in the last few years between about 2014 and 2017, though the line for 16 to 19-year-olds has been increasing steadily the entire time, and they've remained the worst affected throughout the entire time period of this graph with 20 to 21 year olds only just catching up now. Finally, there is the most discussed stat of them all, the rapid increase of people who have had no sexual relations since they turned 18, amid a time of unprecedented sex positivity, no less. Writer Catherine D, who writes on the substack Default Friend, has flipped this common understanding and said that the coming wave is one of disembodied sexual negativity rather than free love. Just for your information, the article linked here is paywalled. And here's a chart from the General Social Survey, share of individuals aged under 30 who report zero opposite-sex sexual partners since they turned 18. There are lines for men and women. From 1989 to 2008, it remains fairly steady. 7% for men and 10% for women in 1989, and then in 2008, 8% for both. Then a sharp increase started, particularly in the line for men, by 2018, men are up to 27% and women are up to 17%. The data was compiled by user The Golden Champion on Reddit. The results, though, are not unexpected. A disembodied online life produces less physical intimacy, despite mass culture presenting us with an image that says otherwise. The stat went viral precisely because it showed what many were suspecting and could now concretely confirm. Heading. Trust. One last aspect missing from all this is trust. Trust is the building block of all of sociability. The past 50 years have been nothing short of America's transformation from a high-trust to a low-trust society, 
a collapse of authority across all levels, social, political and institutional. In 2022, trust dropped to a new average low, a development that has been the trend since the 1970s. Here is a chart showing the results of Gallup polls, average confidence in major US institutions, 1979 to 2022. Figures are the average percentage of US adults who have had a great deal or quite a lot of confidence across institutions asked consistently by Gallup. So the x-axis here runs from 1979 to 2022. Looks like trust is just below 50% in 1979, and it sort of gradually trends downward the entire time with a few dips upwards, till in 2022 we get down to 27%, which is a new low on the chart. The decline of trust in the United States across the board is a standalone topic all on its own, already the subject of many books and investigations. I mention it here because trust is the social glue of any society. Regimes crumble and collapse due to a lack of belief in themselves. A lack of trust in institutions makes for a lack of trust in other people as well. Here's another chart showing results from the Pew Research Center. Less than half of Americans express confidence in public's political wisdom. It shows the percentage saying they have not very much, none at all, or very great, good deal of trust and confidence in the wisdom of American people in making political decisions. And we see that back in 1997, 64% of people had very great or a good deal of trust, and 35% had not very much or none at all. And then there's a crossover that occurs. The data points are a little spread out, but it's somewhere between 2006 and 2017. And by 2019, we have a new level where 59% of people say they have not very much or none at all, trust and confidence, and 34% say they have very great or a good deal of trust. And there's another chart here showing the results of Gallup polls, trust in legislative branch and the American people themselves. Percentage a great deal or fair amount of trust in the legislative branch and the American people. So there's lines for each of those two things. The x-axis runs from around 1976 to around 2021, and we see a steady decline in both of these lines. We note in particular that the line for the legislative branch has dropped off shortly after the year 2000 and remains steady since about 2012 at a new low level. And the line for the American people has just gradually decreased the entire time. Americans trust in themselves, 2021. Although higher than the Pew Research findings, the poll was more general rather than being on the public's political wisdom. Most Americans do perceive that trust has diminished among the general population. The vast majority are, quote, worried about the declining level of trust in each other, end quote. Many also feel that they no longer recognise their own country, although this is likely caught up somewhat in political partisanship. Here's another graph showing results from the Pew Research Centre. Americans are worried about the declining level of trust citizens have in each other. It shows the percent of US adults who believe Americans have far too little or too little confidence in each other, 79%. Americans' low trust in each other makes it harder to solve the country's problems, 70%. Americans' level of trust in each other has been shrinking, 64%. It is very important, in quotes, the level of confidence Americans have in each other be improved, 58%. Americans' level of confidence in each other is a very big problem, 25%. And here's another chart. Source, University of Chicago Institute of Politics, 2022. I feel more and more like a stranger in my own country. It shows people who strongly or somewhat agree. Overall, 50% or just under. Democrats, probably around 40%. Independents, maybe 55%. And Republicans, maybe 60%. 
The erosion of trust in the US began decades ago after Watergate and the preceding crisis of confidence during the 1970s. Still, it binds our current time to a more familiar past cynicism. Skepticism toward the state has evolved into more generalised distrust toward society at large, amplified by the internet. Heading, The New Individual The data presented is enough to sketch out an archetype of the new individual, a growing minority, one who is plugged in, dispirited, and often feels invisible. Carl Jung wrote that personal meaning comes, quote, when people feel they are living the symbolic life, that they are actors in the divine drama. In such a frayed sociality, the drama that would give one meaning closes. What often enters instead is nostalgia, exaggerated hatred, and the desire to be saved. Right now, the dispirited are only beginning to agitate the political centre, which is led by mostly an older generation socialised in a different way. The current US government has been called the oldest government in history. It fits the proper definition of a gerontocracy, or rule of the old. As of 2022, over 23% of Congress is over 70 years old, and the median age is 61.5%. American political power has so far only sporadically felt the effects of the new individual at the ballot box, while at the same time chastising the public for it. The politics of the social recession has therefore only really just started. Analyst Martin Gouri touches on this in his book The Revolt of the Public and the Crisis of Authority in the New Millennium, from 2013. As he argues, the digital public lacks a coherent program and is motivated by negation, and the tearing down of idols and authority. We cannot expect the new individual to simply be contained to just his or her own alienation, pacified and alone. That alienation will inform beliefs on how society itself should be organised and will be the substance of some future worldview, whatever it may be. As a starting point for remedies, it should be admitted that this process cannot be reverted, nor can we expect political management from above to contain these asocial sentiments. The healthier alternative involves rethinking internet infrastructure on pro-social ends, platforms owned by the people, using them with community prerogatives in mind. I'm not going to pretend to know what that will look like, since much of it has to happen organically. While the trends described here may be a new normal, in quotes, in the sense that they cannot be reversed, I still think another healthier kind of online community is imaginable. The internet does not need to be joined at the hip to a permanent social recession like it is now. If you found this post worth your time, consider subscribing to my newsletter Novum, and there's a link here to the author's substack. It is a hobbyist project of mine and free. This was an audio version of The Social Recession by the Numbers, by Autonomen, published on the 30th of October 2022. This reading was by Perrin Walker and produced by Type 3 Audio.